This is Michael Campbell. You're listening to Money Talks. Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. Solera Club is a royalty-based investment, which means you as an investor gets paid first. Uh, it's also a no-fees-attached investment. You can get more information. It's in the tech field by going to soleraclub.com. You've got to tell you, every week uh, when I think about things to talk about, it really occurs to me that I do talk about things that people don't care about. Uh, I mean, come on. We've been warning, for example, on Money Talks that the Canadian dollar was going to take a huge dive since the loonie was above par. And, of course, it impacts every one of us, like taking a pay cut. But, come on, how many people really cared? And, by the way, forgive me. i got to direct this to my hate mailers. Which one of your political heroes or public sector union leaders who are so desperate to direct economic and financial policy warned you about the loonie's decline? Because it's cost you more money than any gains you've made from the collective contract negotiations over the last decade. Sorry, as I said, back on track. I'm going to talk today about an issue that will also have a major financial impact on you financially, on every one of us. It's a classic money talk subject in that very few people will probably care, at least until it hits them right between the eyes, or maybe more accurately their bank account, before they get upset. But then, if I wait till then, it's too late. I'm talking about the move by powerful members of the political and financial establishment to eliminate cash. I've been warning about it for the last three years, but now the move is gaining so much momentum that it looks inevitable. And combined with the push to, for negative interest rates, the implications are huge. This week, former Secretary of the Treasury and former, Har- or rather current Harvard economist Larry Summers, who's a real insider, recommended the elimination of the $100 bill. Now, he already on record as saying he wants to eliminate all cash, but this is a step in that direction that few people would notice, would even get a mention. Now, I'm wondering how many in the public or in the media understand the implications of going cashless along with negative interest rates, which have already taken place, by the way, in 15 countries, nearly a quarter of the world's economy. I mean, it's big time stuff that we're talking about here. I mean, when it comes to the media, I don't see any indication that there's even one commentator who understands the profound assault on individual freedom that those kind of policies represent. So I'm going to reiterate it here. Government, i.e. the same people who were exposed for listening in on our cell phone calls, reviewing all our internet searches while at the airport, are now going to be able to track every single financial transaction we make by eliminating cash. So what does that mean? Well, it means that Justin Trudeau or Donald Trump, if he becomes president, or God forbid Hillary Clinton, the IRS, Revenue Canada, are going to be able to track everything you do financially. But just as importantly, When you combine that with negative interest rates in financial institutions, you're going to be faced with a choice. You can either keep it in the financial institution and lose money every day as it sits in the account, or you can spend it. I mean, it's incredible to think that government already takes at least half of our income for every productive person earning over 40,000 in some form of tax mandatory transfer. We've got three levels of government, but that isn't enough for big government advocates. They want to control what we got left over. And make no mistake, this is coming. You got Stephen Polos, I think it was in November. You got the Fed's Janet Yellen in January, both bringing forward the possibility of negative interest rates. Now, clearly, years of record low rates haven't been effective, by the way. The OECD just issued another downward revision for every nation on the planet, including Canada, while urging governments to take dramatic action. But still, they'll look at negative interest rates. See, central banks hate it that they can't get below zero and the reason is cash why because people just keep their cash out of the bank so they need to eliminate cash then they can drop rates easily below zero in order to force you to spend to revive the economy 
I'll give you a quick example. You put a million dollars in a bank and you got a 0.75 negative interest rate. Well, you come back a year later, you don't have a million. You've got 992500 bucks left. The bank's taken the other 7500 How about a negative interest rate of, say, 3%? Well, again, you lose $30,000 just by keeping your money in that bank. So you either keep the money in the bank and get a guaranteed loss or you spend it. Now, I get that some people are going to say, what's the big deal? But they say that about every encroachment on individual freedom. Hey, tap my cell phone, look at my internet searches. Sure, I got nothing to hide. So what's the problem with going cashless? I mean, I already use a debit card. That's the attitude they're going to face, that kind of complacency. And it's an attitude, by the way, that guarantees that this is coming, that we are going to eliminate cash, and along with negative interest rates, if the economy doesn't improve. So go ahead and yawn. For big government types, individual freedom is actually so passe anyways, at least in progressive circles. I'll take a break. I'll come back. Michael Levy, top three stories that people are talking about. I also got a big fat idea. And the guy who gives advice to the Federal Reserve, Michael Berry, is going to be my guest. Hey, what does he think? Are they going to raise interest rates coming up in March? I'll get his answer right here on Money Talks. Coming up, I got Mike's big fat idea of the week. This is a very interesting one that uh, maybe comes down a different road for your money and trying to realize some uh, gains on it. But I'll do that in just a couple of minutes' time. Right now, Michael Levy joins me. Top three stories that smart people are talking about. Michael, let's start with number three. Well, like we really needed this again, Mike. Uh, It's not like we haven't had uh, the uh, downgrading of economic growth throughout 2015 and into 2016. But just this week, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD, downgraded global growth, says the world's economy needs urgent fiscal response from government, and they downgraded the 216 global growth outlook to 3% from 3.3%, and that, that matches last year's underwhelming growth rate. Yeah, and of course, Canada was right there, uh, front and center, yet another you know, uh, forecast downgrade for growth. I mean, this is, as Stephen Polo said, serial downgrades, but yet another one here. It is, Mike. I mean, this is a real stickler. Canada received one of the sharpest downgrades among the developing countries, the developed countries, with our growth predicted to average only 1.4%. And if that's not bad enough, Mike, when they did this in November, that's just three and a half months ago, we were up at 2%. Not that you're going to set the world on fire with 2%, but it shows that Canada is under extreme pressure as far as economic growth is concerned this year. And I got to just before we go to number two, I've got to leave it with this. We have to appreciate how many people completely underestimated the importance of resources. Boy, we were saying that absolutely from the get go before oil had dropped below 100, saying, look out below because of the ripple effect. And uh, boy, we have been led by some people, and I'm thinking in the media, I'm thinking the special interest groups who completely underestimated this, and there's only one reason they did. They don't have a clue. And yet, man, they are front and center wanting to prescribe economic and financial policy in this country. Uh, and uh, it's just you know, outrageous. I, I, I... 
I really couldn't agree with you more. But the OECD, and here's something that I might just disagree with a little bit, only because the debt that it racks up. But he says many of the sluggish, they say many of the sluggish growth countries should follow Canada's lead and move into the fiscal spending camp. In other words, spending on infrastructure, going into more debt to spend. And, I mean, you know what kind of a boondoggle that could be, but OECD says that might be one of the paths that the world's countries that are suffering from low or no economic growth should follow. Well, I think the problem in a nutshell, Mike, and this is a much longer subject, is, look, when things are going well, we have all sorts of demands on government saying, why not? We can afford it. And when things go poorly, we say we've got to spend because we can't afford not to. And that's, you know, the whole idea of government intervention in terms of deficit spending was meant for bad times. We have done it in good times. Just look at the track record of Ontario, for example. Uh, Look at the track record of Quebec, our two biggest provinces. They didn't care what the overall economic environment, boom time, bad times. And that's really gets to the heart of it, uh, you know, of the problem. And uh, as I say, we have allowed politics to be dominated by special demands on government. And I agree with them, by the way, at the OECD. If you're going to spend and you're going to go deficit spending, this is the time to do it. You can borrow at 1% interest rates. Uh, But again, as you just were alluding to, Mike, you need to do the right projects. And uh, we've got a track record in many times of Uh, absolutely doing horrendous projects. The fact that you can label it infrastructure, ask them in Toronto how well that fast uh, high-speed train is going uh, from downtown into the airport. It's an absolute white elephant. Uh, There's so many other examples, but we better leave it for now, Mike. You you wound me up here, buddy. That's, uh, That's what I'm paid to do, and you know what? I'm earning my money this morning. There you go. What's number two? Apple bites the man with good reason, and I'm sure that you've heard about the fact that Apple is turning down the FBI request and a court order to build a program to unlock the iPhone to possibly give the FBI more information about the San Bernardino terrorist. And the FBI says, no, if they create a bypass around the security system of one iPhone, it's ne- it is necessarily doing so for all iPhones, and this would be a violation of its promise to protect customers' privacy. So they're saying no to the FBI, and they are saying no to a court order. So this is going to be an interesting one, Mike. It sure is. I mean, it's a big, big subject, but, you know, I mean, uh, they want to break the encryption, and obviously there's people who think they should, other people who don't, but I, I agree. It's a huge privacy issue. Again, some of these other issues have come back to bite them when we find out that, again, the surveillance level is much higher than anyone was ever told, you know, in terms of cell phones and turn to our own personal use of Internet, for example, uh, at the airport. Uh, you know, the bottom line here is, Apple's telling us that they can't trust the government, and it's hard to disagree with that from my point of view. Mike, it is so hard because if you do it for the United States, does that mean then when Russia says they have a security problem, they've got to unlock or give them the key to unlock cell phones in Russia or China or any other country that sells, uh, sells iPhones, Mike? And the fact is the other big tech companies, the Googles, the Facebook. They are agreeing with Apple, and Mike, this is going to end up in the U.S. Supreme Court. This is a huge, huge item, and it goes right back down to what you alluded to in the beginning of the program, but it's government wanting to do so much to get into our lives, to control our lives, and the pushback isn't there. Well, there is pushback this time, and from the major tech corporations. Let's go to number one. 
uh, number one. And you know what, Mike? You're going to have to remind me. I've just lost my screen, so just remind well, me. Well, the bottom line one. is this. We're talking about oil prices, you know, and, oh, uh, you know, that, that's the big debate, you know, is, is how low does oil go? Uh, I'm sure we'll talk later on with Victor about this. Uh, but uh, I know that our oil analyst, uh, Joseph Schachter, has had a great track record. He kind of thinks oh. the next plunge may be it. Well, he does, Mike, and uh, he expects that in the next couple of months, uh, oil prices are going to get down somewhere around 24 to $26. And, uh, he, you know, uh, there, there's so many now that are saying that oil has seen its bottom, but his downgrade target is the low 20s to mid-U.S. $20, and this will be the final plunge, and it's going to overcur- occur over the next two months. And, Mike, why I pick this, Joseph Schachter is on Money Talks so very often. He was at the World Outlook Conference. His forecasts have been spot on, and he's one of the most respected, if not the most respected, oil analysts, energy analysts in Canada. And uh, as far as he's concerned, we have one more move down, and then we can then look at possibly a bounce in the uh, energy market. But until then... He says, just watch out and just keep your powder dry. Well, we'll be here to chronicle it. I think the key is not just where it bottoms, but what is the caliber of the recovery. Uh, we've got uh, you know, f- uh, governments, uh, provincial and federal, all having much higher estimates. Like oil would have to go up 100%, and we still wouldn't be what they're projecting for the averages going out in 2017, 2018. So that's going to be a real key. And, of course, Michael, we'll be here to chronicle it. We we will, Mike, and just one more parting shot from Joseph Schachter. He's looking at the equity markets also, and he's very good at that. So if oil and the equity markets continue to grasp pans and go together, if oil comes down, watch out for the equity markets to follow oil in lockstep because that's what oil and the equity markets have been doing for the past months. Absolutely. Mike, we'll talk to you next week. Have a good weekend. You too, Mike. Thanks. Stay with me. Mike's Big Fat Idea next. The Federal interest rate, uh, rather, the Federal Reserve raised interest rates in December. That sent a shockwave throughout the markets that uh, we were living with right through till the beginning of this past week. Michael Berry, Dr. Michael Berry, presents to the Federal Reserve. He'll be my guest coming up in a few minutes' time. I'll ask the question: More rates rises coming or not? Right now, though, it's time for Mike's big fat idea. Paul Phillip is financial wealth builders and joins me on the line right now. Paul, I appreciate you taking time on the weekend. Uh, we're just trying to get uh, a hold of Paul at this point here. That's always a tough one, by the way, when you're on the air and uh, you're waiting for your guest to show up. Well, I've got time to do something else instead then. I was going to do it in a couple of minutes. Well, I'll just warn you that we're going to do a shocking stat. I've got quote of the week all coming up here, but Paul's on the line with me right now. Paul, appreciate your time in the weekend. What's your big fat idea? The, the big idea here, Mike, and today it's a doozy, it's how to use permanent life insurance to have the permission to have uh, significantly more income in retirement. The concept is to use the permanent life insurance as asset insurance in retirement. I'm going to give you a couple examples. Yeah, I was going to take, say, you better, you better elaborate. <laughs> sure. Take a couple age 65, and together they've saved a million dollars in their retirement account. Traditional planning would say that you shouldn't take more than 4% off your portfolio a year, or you may run out of money before, you're, uh, before you pass away. Well, 4% on a million dollars would produce about a $40,000 a year income, not much of a lifestyle. 
if this couple also had a million dollar permanent life insurance policy, we could show them how to increase the cash flow on that million dollar retirement account to about $80,000. How they would be able to do that is taking a combination of principal and interest and paying down the account during their lifetime. Between age 65 and 85, uh, $80,000 a year could be drawn off of that million dollars. In effect, you're getting your own money back. Average, so life, expectancy, just, uh, average yeah. life expectancy for a male is around age 85. The permanent life insurance policy would pay off around that time, and the million dollars would be fully back in the investment account for the spouse to be able to enjoy go forward. So what you're talking about is you sort of take the permanent life insurance policy, you coordinate it uh, with other assets. Maybe you've got real estate. If you're lucky, you might have an investment account, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, uh, who are we talking to today? Like if someone says, well, I, I, you know, if someone's uh, 11 years old, they say, maybe that's not for me. I mean, who are we talking about? Well, really, this strategy, if you don't already own the insurance, it'll work up until about age 65 to purchase the insurance. The yeah. younger you are, the better the return. I'm going to explain how it works on real estate, though. Let's say you have a million dollars of equity in your real estate when you hit retirement. What you could do if you also have some permanent life insurance is put a line of credit on the real estate. Right. Start to draw an income year by year off of that line of credit, completely tax-free. And let's say you did that for a 20-year period, maybe from age 70 until 90. Well, you would have taken out about six or $700,000 of tax-free income and by 90, you're getting close to when you're going to die. The life insurance would pay off the line of credit, and the house would be completely free and clear again. This is huge for people. So, written, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I've written a couple articles on this. They'd be available to listeners if they went to our website, but it would give more context and detail to how it works. So the, the website idea, is... Though, um, Financial Wealth Builders, fwb-inc.com, fwb-inc.com, so that's Financial Wealth Builders, but fwb-inc.com. Yeah, just, I mean, we just uh, get a chance to introduce these kind of ideas, and it's a really interesting one, uh, but you can get a little more detail there. So uh, two articles are up there. Uh, Paul, I want to thank you for taking the time with us. It's a, it's a fascinating deal, and the kind of thing in this kind of environment that people have to get more creative and find out what tools are available to them out there. And it's a conservative strategy. Life insurance yeah. can be set up in a guaranteed fashion. Great stuff. And that's why, I say, as I say, just go to the website, fwb-inc, so it's Financial Wealth Builders, Inc., fwb-inc.com. Paul, thanks for taking the time. Thank you, Mike. I'll take a break. I'll come back. As I say, hey, our interest rates going up further in the States. That's what sent the jitters throughout the financial markets in December and into January. Well, Dr. Michael Berry is going to share that with us. And coming up, I also have my quote of the week. Got a shocking stat. This one blew me away. And today, I've got more than one goofy. It was a goofy, fulfilled week. I'll do that with Victor Adair, all coming up right here across the Chorus Radio Network.